Hello, all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. Today, we are reviewing a Wes Anderson film. We, Sarah and I, were chatting the other day, and we realized that we haven't reviewed a Wes Anderson film on the podcast yet. And so today, we're reviewing the 1998 film Rushmore. So not one of his more well-known ones. Um, so this will be an exciting episode. Sarah, do you want to kick us off with the IMDb summary? Yes. The extracurricular king of Rushmore Preparatory School is put on academic probation. Ah. Okay. So let's start off in true sweet tradition with our own summaries of Rushmore. Sarah, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, my summary is a quirky coming-of-age story folded into an angsty teenage drama. <laughs> I use the word quirky as well, but I think it is very, very fitting for this film. Yes. So mine is a story of quirky and slightly irritating characters, be- perhaps <laughs> because of their most human of flaws. Yes, a very <laughs> accurate summary. <laughs> Oh, it describes a lot of my sentiments while watching this film. (laughs) All right, so let's dive into Rushmore first with our initial thoughts of the film. I was a little, uh, I guess, trepidatious about this film uh, (laughs) just because I adore Wes Anderson's films. I... Yes, they're just, they're wonderful. They're full of quirky characters. The the sets, the costuming, the colors are always wonderful. The music is always great. And like, he just creates this odd world with these eccentric people. And it's just so fun for me to watch what goes on. But I knew that Rushmore was one of his first films that he did. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't set in this like, you know, it's not Grand Budapest Hotel. It's this very realistic looking film. And so I was just wondering how much of that Wes Anderson flair you were going to experience in Rushmore. And um, during the first scene uh, where you're first introduced to Max and he Uh, closes his newspaper and you see his desk and how everything is stacked on it I was like oh that is Wes Anderson to a T I'm here for this movie now like and I just had so much fun with it Um, the characters were so weird and you are 100% correct they are incredibly infuriating (laughs) Um, but it was just such a fun little ride for me to go along with and just as much as I just wanted to strangle some of these characters sometimes it was just fun to see how they interacted with each other and uh made their way through this incredibly weird situation <laughs> that they found themselves in yes I was very curious what your thoughts of this film were particularly because I know you're a huge Wes Anderson film and so because this is some of his earlier work was curious to see if it if it held up, if it met your expectations, uh, or if it fell short and you could really tell that this was some of his earlier, more development type of work. So it is awesome that you loved it. I I, I really appreciate this film. Um, there's, there's so much uniqueness and eccentric characters throughout. Um, and I, I, one of the things I really love about this film is that it is able to say a lot and comment on so much while still being so fun and whimsical and just absolutely hilarious and witty and so many components of it. Um, the overall tone and mood of the whole film is generally very light and yet they're dealing with emotions and identity issues and desires that are so human to us and so his ability to take these these deeper longings that we have and yet make it have this flair and to be so fun and lighthearted is kind of challenging to do without those big emotional moments and so I really appreciated that about this film 
The characters were absolutely infuriating, which we can dive into, I am sure. Uh, but I, I found myself having to reflect on why it was that these characters felt so frustrating to me. And I think a big part of it is that they just they exhibit a lot of our deepest human flaws and our deepest human desires that are being manifested in ways that are unhealthy. And so ultimately, it just it kind of speaks to the human experience in a lot of really interesting and subtle ways. And so I am excited to unpack all of those pieces. Yes, it is jam-packed with things to discuss. Mm -hmm. So perhaps let's start off with the character of Max Fisher. I think we could probably do the whole episode on Max, but let's <laughs> start off with him because there he, he has a lot of complexity. His background, his upbringing, his childhood, and then how that has all manifested into this um, this complex combination of things that is Max Fisher. And so I'm curious, did you, did you wrestle with his character in whether or not you liked him? Were you rooting for him? Or did you absolutely find him super cocky and frustrating and annoying to see on screen? What were your sentiments about Max? Because I found myself wrestling back and forth with him throughout the entire film. I don't know that I would say that I was like wrestling with him. Um, to me, I kind of empathized with him in a way. Um, I've always been the type of person, especially when I was in high school, like I was involved with all kinds of different extracurriculars. And I remember I might've been in middle school and my mom was like, you have to pick one. Like you can't do all seven. I'm not going to drive you to all these things. Pick one thing. And that was so hard for me. So I kind of, I kind of could meet him at that place of, I'm going to try and do all of these things to find my identity. And um, I'm going to be involved in all of these things to try and get people to like me. Um, so on that level, I kind of understood where he was coming from. And I really just wanted him to like, stop and sit <laughs> and like, just do one thing or don't do anything. And that's okay. Um so I think to me, like, that was the most infuriating thing. Like, you don't need to do these things to be liked. Like, you don't need to do these things to appear successful. Like, you can just be you. And that's okay, buddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I kept thinking about that the entire time. So Sarah and I are both Enneagram 3s. If you haven't taken the yes. Enneagram test, highly, highly recommend. Sarah and I talk about it quite, quite often. We were talking about it right before recording this <laughs> podcast episode, actually. Uh, but us both being Enneagram 3s, when they had that whole montage unfold of him doing every single activity and it just becoming <laughs> more and more ridiculous, it was so fun to watch that whole montage. But two, uh, I kept thinking about you and I and just being like, this is – this, yeah, I can, I can resonate with this. I get why he wants to do all these things and especially – because I think one of his, his desires is to kind of set himself apart and to be mm -hmm. grown up and to, to be a man and to achieve all these things. And he's got this like head with big dreams. Um, I could really, really understand him. On the other hand, he, he makes terrible decisions. He's, he's awkward. He doesn't know how to interact with people. He's not very <laughs> well liked. Uh, so there were moments where I loved his creativity and his um, gutsiness to just say, like, yeah, we're going to build an aquarium here on the baseball diamond. And I loved that he was able to go after what he, he believed could be possible. Uh, but on the other hand, I, I just felt like there, there was a line that I jotted down because I, I thought it was – it just cut straight to the, to the heart uh, where – uh, one of the kids says, you're all show, no results. And I, th mm. and I think that cuts straight to the core of one of his flaws, which is that he has so much flair and so much, so many dreams inside his head, but he isn't able to, to truly deliver on any of them other than his plays. And if he had just focused on one of them and done it really well and invested in it, it could have taken him farther than kind of being 
all show and just doing all of these activities kind of with this with this with this flair and trying to show off but nothing really to show for it at the end of the day I think what bothered me maybe more than Max because I mean he's he's a kid he's the main protagonist but he's supposed to be what 15 mm-hmm. um what bothered me more was that Bill Murray's character was an enabler. And I was like, bro, you should not be giving this 15-year-old all kinds of money to do all these stupid things. Why are you <laughs> enabling him? Like, that bothered me more than Max just being a dreamer. Like, in my mind, mm. he would have failed enough times and maybe would have learned his lesson or he would get a mentor, some guidance along the way and learn that there's a better way to do things. But the fact that Bill Murray was enabling him just bothered me. (laughs) That is so fascinating. That didn't irk me at all. I was like, (laughs) awesome kid. You found a dude who's willing to give you a pile of money. Like, good for you. Make this aquarium happen. (laughs) I want to see it play out. (laughs) It's so irresponsible fiscally. Like, that's just such a poor decision. What kind of businessman are you? (laughs) Like, no. It's just chum change for him. He's just helping this kid play around. (laughs) Sarah, I love when you go on these little rants as if you're talking straight to the character. Bro! And then the rant continues. I love it. We'll have to do a little compilation. Yeah, a compilation of all of your character rants where you just... (laughs) Oh, no, there are so many of there them. There are so many. <laughs> I'm so excited for when this bonus episode is revealed. Oh, God. And no one will listen to it. <laughs> oh, but I will, gleefully, gleefully. <laughs> over and over and over yes. again. <laughs> if I'm having a frustrating day, I'll come home and just listen to that, and it'll be like my therapy. Truly purge. <laughs> uh, all right, so Max Fisher irked us in different ways. Really, really interesting. Um, I think it's fascinating to see that they mention uh, in small moments kind of his background with his mother and um, that wound that he carries. We don't really Mm -hmm. dwell on it, which I really appreciated because Wes Anderson didn't feel the need to make this, I I guess I should say Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson since they co-wrote the screenplay. Uh, They didn't feel the need to overdwell in that space, but it did help, I think, you as a viewer empathize with his character a little bit more. You see that he's trying to fill some sort of void that growing up with his mother has left in him, um, especially with his, his father still trying to figure out how to continue on with his life and cope with the loss of uh, his wife. And you, you see this kid that has kind of figured out how to raise himself and he's comp- overcompensated in some ways to try and grow up faster and to have all these, of these big dreams that he wants to accomplish. And so I, I appreciate the, the amount that we got to see of that. It was just enough to help us understand him without being like overly heavy-handed. And I love the way that they slowly leaked out this information to Mm -hmm. you. Like, I mean, at least for me, like, I knew right away that, like, he, he was just putting on a show. It actually kind of reminded me of, like, The Great Gatsby Mm -hmm. and how he had developed this whole persona over the years, but in reality, he actually wasn't that at all. And he just kept lying to maintain the persona. And you could see that in Max's character, that he had made up this lie um, and he was just going to keep doubling down on it. Um, Mm. And I I love how they slowly let you into that world and show Mm. him for who he really is. Mm. Yeah. And and to go off of that, the, the way that we as the viewers from minute one are introduced to Max is a really smart way to kind of help us also want this dream for him. I I found myself wanting him to just fully be able to be this man that he really wants to be. Uh, And part of that, I think, is the way that we're introduced to him. We see him in his little pipe dream, daydream about how uh, he wants to be that guy that swoops in and solves the 
geometry problem that has never been solved except for these two professors somewhere. And uh, we kind of are introduced to him that way first and then that bubble pops. But from the minute we meet him, we have this, this vision for what he wants himself to be. But also a little bit of I found myself as a viewer wanting him to fully be able to achieve that and to be great. Yeah, he's not great at school, but he's got this entrepreneurial spirit in him that is oftentimes unwise, but he's got the guts for it. And that's more than you could say for a lot of the other kids that are romping around throughout the rest of this film. Especially when you contrast Max with Bill Murray's kids. And you can see, like, there's such a sharp contrast between the two. And, you know, the creativity and whimsy and really courage that Max has, even though it's incredibly misguided, um, makes him so much more fascinating. And like you said, like, you want to root for him, whereas some of these other kids, you're like, ah, man, they're just a bunch of shithead teenagers, like... (laughs) They're the worst, but there's something special about Max. And you're Mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, little buddy, you can do it. Yeah, he's the kid that's wearing like a tweed blazer and corduroy (laughs) pants uh, romping around campus with this like messy haircut and his his horn rimmed glasses. It's it's endearing. And yet he's so frustrated at the same time. I think uh, the the way that Miss cross so rosemary um in a a scene somewhere in the middle where she she mentions that max reminds her a lot of her late husband and she said something along the lines of like he had the same spirit and i forget the exact words she used but essentially he he had that same spirit and energy and zest uh for adventure and for life that she really has identified in him I think that's a moment where you kind of understand why she goes so far with him um in their relationship and why she too is fascinated by this kid that is so different from the rest of the students on campus yeah I struggled with that relationship (laughs) so much it's a good thing that you struggled I'd be more worried if you didn't yeah I mean obviously (laughs) but I even with those things and and all of that information that we learn about her throughout the course of the film the whole time I'm just going like ma'am like let's get you a therapist like (laughs) let's talk through some of these things because like (laughs) I mean, her staying in her, her late husband's room, I'm like, okay, honey, that can't be healthy. <laughs> like, let's process through some of these things. So I think, I think I was even more annoyed. I was more annoyed with the adults in this film than I was with Max, clearly. Because <laughs> with her, the whole time I'm going like, yeah, okay, he reminds you of your late husband. That's fine. But he's 15, like, there's nothing about this relationship right now that's appropriate. So <laughs> I need you to handle whatever's going on in your life because you can't keep doing this. <laughs> you know, watching this film, I knew that you were going to just have so many problems with Rosemary <laughs> because she makes so many questionable decisions. And it, it, I think throughout the first chunk of it, there, I can, I can, understand her a little bit uh you know she she's probably lonely and here's some attention from one of her students that feels kind of nice and then here's some attention from this rich man that feels kind of nice and so she's kind of just toying with it and kind of playing with fire a little bit it's the moment where homegirl is helping wipe the blood from Max's face and she's straight up on top I of him. No. That's when I lose the respect. Ugh. That's when I'm like, I'm no longer trying to empathize with you anymore. Like I'm I was really trying for past 45 minutes and here's where I no, can no longer get on board with this because she is blatantly making a decision that is just it's it's just not on par with any sort of morals. So that's where she loses me, and I'm no longer <laughs> on her side. 
And at first I thought we were going to have kind of like a, like a situation like the graduate and like, okay, younger man was an older woman. Okay. But I thought that he would be like 18. And Mm. so when they were like, oh, he's 15, I was like, "Mm, nope, (laughs) I'm not on board with this. This is not okay. Yeah. The, the moment where I did feel like I gave her, gave her some points for her character was when she chose to walk away from uh, Mr. Bloom and she said something mm-hmm. along the lines of like Bloom hates himself and I can't, and I can't, yeah. I can't be with that. And I, I've really had a lot of respect for her for in that moment because it's, it's, he's a rich man. She's lonely. It's really easy for her to just kind of toy with this and continue to, um, let it play out. And the fact that she's able to clearly one clearly identify that in him says a lot about her ability to understand him and to see and uh, kind of empathize and understand people, but two to walk away from that and, and to be able to say that so succinctly was really well done. And then the next scene, couple scenes later and she's on top of max and i'm like okay this isn't <laughs> these two these two the points have canceled themselves out you won 50 <laughs> points now you lost 50 points we're back at zero <laughs> <laughs> but i so appreciate that these um other characters had such complexity to mm-hmm. them like for mr bloom to have all of these different things going on in him and for Miss Cross to have all of these different things going in her and they're both complex and difficult things to talk about like she's dealing with grief he's dealing with self-hatred and grief and not being fulfilled that's a lot for Mm -hmm. people who are not the main characters and the fact that they were able to resolve even some of their stories and show a little bit of growth in both of them over the course of this film, in addition to all of the growth that you see in Max is some really good writing and really effective use of time. Yeah. I mean, it's only, I think 90 minutes. Yeah. It's super short. Yeah. And I was particularly impressed with just the, the Wes Anderson's ability to deal with these really heavy topics of grief and self-hatred and mourning a parent or your loved ones and figuring out how to move on and f- how the, the detrimental ways we deal with those voids. And he does it in a way that is so fun and lighthearted and comical and these kind of overly exaggerated characters that I think could easily be so larger than life that we can no longer really connect with it. And I, I, I was very impressed with how they were able to be grounded and rooted to the point where we can relate to them as, as human beings. We've felt some inkling of emotions that they are also dealing with. And yet they are still larger than life and quirky and strange and odd in their own ways. And that is a difficult combination to, to marry together. And that's one of the fun things that you see throughout his films is, and they've gotten more and more exaggerated the longer (laughs) that we've gone on. Um, But they're all just so very real in certain ways. And Mm. that just makes it fun. Yeah. Yeah. I, let's talk about while we're on the topic of the character specifically, uh, the the parallels between Max and Mr. Bloom I thought was really fascinating to watch unfold, especially in that middle section where they, they do their little uh, childish squabble of <laughs> <laughs> pranking each other and trying to, to get little jabs at each other. It's really fascinating, I think, to see that theme explored a little bit through this film of... Uh, that idea that sometimes our, our demons or our wounds can last a lifetime. Here's a young boy who's who's dealing with this struggle and here's a grown man who's who's dealing with his own demons. And to a certain extent, like they don't go away with age. Uh, they often become can become more and more uh, destructive. but it's it's it was really fascinating to see that they were both longing for, 
something and trying to find it outside of themselves in Miss Cross. And there, there are these two mirror images that were kind of unfolding in parallel uh, throughout, especially that, that middle section. I love how they pieced all that together because if it wasn't done, like executed so well and such just a ridiculous premise, it would have been so easy to be like, what the hell are you doing? Mm -hmm. Like you're grown and he's a kid. Like, why are you doing this to him? Um, but because of the way that they shot it and, and the way that it was just all puzzle pieced together so perfectly, like it made sense for you to go along with this ride and you were able to suspend that disbelief for a little bit and enter into that world where, okay, yeah, that seems like an appropriate reaction, even though it's (laughs) 100% not. Um, And it's just, I think it's a, a very interesting thing just to reflect on, like, it's so easy for us to take stuff from our childhood and bring it into our adulthood. And like you said, like it can frame how we make decisions and how we respond to things. So even if we are grown and have all of this life experience and all of this success, like if we haven't dealt with the stuff that happened to us earlier on, we're going to potentially operate like a 15 year old would. And Mm -hmm. that's not going to make great decisions if you're thinking with, you know, a 15 year old's brain. Yeah. I, I love that you mentioned the, the way that this was shot and it being able to suspend our disbelief because that is something that's quite magical about this film. Uh, Mm -hmm. and it, it's a lot through the soundtrack, which we haven't talked about yet, but we should definitely at some point, the soundtrack, (laughs) I think the, the, the whole curtains unfolding through the months helps convey that a little bit as well. Uh, again, the larger than life characters, larger than life enough without being disconnected from the the human characteristics also really helped contribute to it. I, I kept having this feeling while watching this film that it felt like a little fairy tale story in kind of a distant land somewhere um, <laughs> out of a storybook or um, some magical place. Like it, it was, it was reality, but kind of this strange distorted reality that um, at no point did I feel like this was conveying something real, but it was a story that was being told to me with these big, exciting characters. Um, and that storybook feel, I think with the, with the curtains unfolding and the, the cursive text in different colors throughout (laughs) helped, helped with that a lot. And you're so right without that, suspension of disbelief that we have as viewers a lot of those scenes we would not have worked as well because we would just be so not on board with anything that Mr. Bloom was doing um and it would make his character a lot less effective than he is I think in this film and he would have seemed like mean and cruel I Mm. guess as opposed to he's just getting back at his friend yeah. (laughs) and they're, you know, they're fighting over a girl, even though really neither of them should be with her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think his, his, they, the pacing of certain moments with him helps us uh, be on board with him and, and sympathize with him and get cut him some slack in those moments as well. Uh, Like seeing his first interaction with, rosemary at her doorstep and just the awkwardness makes him so much more (laughs) endearing as well like here's a guy that just is so uncomfortable with himself and just uh hasn't figured out his life and so when you see him like breaking the bike and things like that it's just it it becomes more endearing than i think if we didn't have those little moments with him where we got to to spend a little time with him and and tug at our heartstrings a little bit for him. Although I know you're a, a bit more frustrated with him than perhaps I am. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I like found you're him You're a really terrible endearing. business. He's a terrible businessman. He's an in- entertaining character, but I'm like, we got to talk about your financial decisions, buddy. Cause they're not great. <laughs> well, and it's, it's, 
great to see both him and Max on screen um, because I think they complement each other really well. You had compared Max with his sons, but I think also Max next to Mr. Bloom also shines with more color and patterns and um, bright sparks because Mr. Bloom's character is inherently all very melancholy and unsure of himself and insecure and awkward. And in contrast, Max struts around with this confidence and this um, air about him. And the two together really serve as great foils to each other. Yeah, this this movie would not have been effective, you know, if the one didn't have the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can we talk about Dirk Calloway? He's kind of a small character throughout a lot of this. But I've got to say, of all the characters, he's my fave. Because Homeboy can come up with his own schemes, which I love. His little, like, wizard hat where he starts pelting rocks at Max was so adorable. Uh, But I also love that his character is, it was willing to forgive and is right back on board with being Max's little sidekick. Um, I just, I loved his sass, and he was such a little cherry on top for this film. (laughs) And that's another (laughs) fun little thing about a lot of Wes Anderson films, is there's usually, like, a little sidekick. Um, And I think Dirk was such a good little sidekick for Max. Yes. Um, Yeah, he was just so entertaining, and... (laughs) Yeah, he played the part so well. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that they made his mother be like the hottest mom that all the, all the boys <laughs> want to get with helped make us kind of pity him a little bit too. And it just, it made him a lot more adorable because the kid has no, no freaking clue that all the boys are like wanting to get with his mom until that all dawns on him later. And he he stakes his revenge and he does it well. So I I loved Dirk Calloway. <laughs> he was such a the little the little bit of spice that this film need needed. I loved it. Uh, yeah, I I was just thinking the whole time like, oh my gosh, he's such a little kid. He should know about these things. Why are you guys talking this way? No. Like, I just wanted to like cover his ears. He's so tiny. Like he's just visually so little. So small. (laughs) And he's got his little pout with his blonde hair. (laughs) Oh man. I love love him. Uh the scene when he's flying his little kite just was tugged at my heartstrings so much. Uh while we're kinda going through all the the big the major characters in this, Margaret Yang. I didn't see her coming. I like she she I think was she added a lot to this film even though she wasn't a big part through a lot of it. Um because I think she really served as w- the alternative of who Max should be with and should be after. They both got this this edge and this ambition in them. Um she can be off the straight and narrow path as well. She lied about a lot of the the test results for her little science fair project. So (laughs) she's kind of like in the same wavelength as Max's. And so she was a great foil to Rosemary. And I think the two characters together um, in this story worked really, really well. Again, I feel like this is like a a well-done dish where all of the flavors together are all the right levels and the right um, amounts, and it's all balancing each other out really well. Yeah, I I agree with that because I feel like in a lot of films, like that character gets too much screen time, mm-hmm. and I get really really annoyed um, because that's annoying. Like the girl who's like, oh hey hey, I really like you, like, pay attention to me, look at me, I really like you, can you like me too? Like, that's so annoying. But <laughs> they, they gave Tell me more just... about how you really feel, Sarah. <laughs> I so can't really tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they showed her just enough to make the point, 
-hmm. and to really show like, no, Max, like people will love and appreciate you for who you are. Like you don't need to make yourself into this other thing. You can be you and you are enough. And so I feel like they gave her just enough time to really drive that point home without being too heavy handed with it. And that was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think when she, when they revealed that she had lied on the, the tests, the, the results for her uh, science fair project, I think it also gave her a little bit of an extra edge. Um, it gave mm-hmm. her a little bit more depth as well. She's not just this obedient, little studious, ambitious um, character that we often see and we know already. Like there's a little bit more of a, twist and some spice in her um that I think helped convey that she like she really is cut from very similar cloth as Max's and that they they work they would work together well um but I I appreciated that there is a little more to her than just the studious ambitious Asian chick (laughs) (laughs) yep breaking all kinds of stereotypes over here yeah Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so what else stood out to you from this film? I just, I loved um, just so many of the little intricate details. Um, like when they were going through all of Max's various oh, yes. uh, extracurricular activities. And so good. the intentionality with every shot, but also you know, that he had a, a position in each of those (laughs) clubs. So it wasn't just like, oh, he was in this thing, but like, no, he was the vice president or he was the whatever, like editor in chief for the paper, or he was the founder of the, the beekeeper society or whatever it was. Like it was all so intentional and so purposeful. And there was so much in every one of those shots. (laughs) Um, And they were, they were just short enough that you couldn't quite get everything in and so it it felt exciting because the pace the pacing of those shots was very well done yeah yeah I love that and and there were so many moments like that like throughout the film so I've learned like when I watch a Wes Anderson film like I'm so glad that I can watch it on my computer because then I can pause and I can like look at everything and like take (laughs) everything in because there's sometimes where there's so much in the frame that I want to stop and I want to see it all I want to see okay he put this thing here like that is so important visually and I really want to just soak it all in Mm -hmm. yes yes and the fact that they brought back the one of his um his little extracurricular endeavors in a moment where he was in that little war with Mr. Bloom with the beekeeper, the bees in yes. uh, the office was so smart to do because it was so funny, partially because this guy is like taking advantage and leveraging kind of his existing adventures. Uh, but also it, it, I think if there is such a thing, there's like secondhand humor and funniness that's left over from remembering back the montage. And oh yeah, this kid is president of all these clubs and now he's going to use one of them to his advantage in this little war. So good. (laughs) Yep. It rewards viewers who pay attention. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. I loved it. Let's talk about the soundtrack of this film because I think that this would be a very different film with, with a different soundtrack. Uh, from the from minute one, when the the blue touchstone letters start coming across the black screen, like it really sets the tone and the mood where we are being taken somewhere else, and it sets the vibe, it sets the tone, it, it creates that lightheartedness and the quirkiness from like minute one, and I think it is highly effective in making this film be lighthearted while still allowing it to delve into and explore these kind of bigger, heavier, um, human emotions. And without the soundtrack, this would be such a different film. And I love that in so many moments, Max sets his own soundtrack. (laughs) He's like, I need mood music, uh, with me where I go. (laughs) Just, it, it reinforces just who that character is, that mm-hmm. he's like, okay, 
what I'm going to do is important and this is the right way to do it. So I'm going to bring my own music. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It just makes that character even more endearing. It really hits home the, the fact that he truly thinks he's a star of his own film. <laughs> and in this case, he's a star of this film. Uh, but this kid, oh, man, he's, he's thinking in like bright, shiny colors and, and sparks. It's, it's, it's so fun to watch him just move and operate. Yeah. But there are so many moments that are very honest, um, in this film, it kind of cuts right through all of the fluff and hits you in the gut a little bit. Uh, like I mentioned when Rosemary says Bloom hates himself or when that Irish kid says you're all show, no results. Like those are very astute observations of these human beings that are very accurate. And the soundtrack helps make that feel lighter. Like those are big statements mm-hmm. and they're heavy yeah. and that easily could have been this really kind of moody moment. And the soundtrack helps keep it like, lighthearted and like that line is delivered but we're still going to keep moving on and we're not going to dwell in that and I think that that helps keep keep the whole tone of this feel consistent and feel lighthearted we're not dipping in and out of these big heavy moments and then back out again similar to the way that um Marvel has chosen to do their humor where there's a big emotional moment and then there's kind of like this all right pause like we're gonna say a joke now um it avoids that up and down. There's this general tone of, of lighthearted whimsy. And then there's these little, little tiny jabs of like, Ooh, that's, that's a, that's a astute observation. Very, very true. (laughs) And that's very fitting with who the protagonist is. Mm -hmm. Like if this had been a movie all about Herman Bloom, it would have been just melancholy and gray and (laughs) moody music and I probably would have loved it but because it was all about Max who like you said is bright and vivacious and vibrant and all of these things like even during his lowest point like he was still fairly up like Mm -hmm. um and so the music just helps you see the world through his eyes just even better very very true Yes. Yeah. So there's a moment that happens in this film that when it unfolded, I thought to myself, ooh, that would not age well. It probably wouldn't have done, it wouldn't have landed uh, the same way in 1998 as it does today. And it's the scene where Max is with uh, Rosemary in her classroom and he makes a move on her and it's, it's this really like jarring moment where they, she's trying to push him away and it's, it's just a lot. It's a big scene. Um, and I just thought to myself, like given the climate that we are in now with the Me Too movement and the sensitivity around sexual assault, like I don't think that film, that scene would have landed and worked in the same way that it probably did, um, two, three decades ago. Uh, I think there would have been a little bit more of a reaction to it um, now in our landscape. And I, I just remember thinking that's, that, that, that was a moment that in our current climate, is, is, it's, it's a rough moment to, to watch. Yeah, it was a really awkward moment to be, to be watching. I I didn't particularly enjoy that. Um, And I agree. I don't think it would have made it through, um, through the writing process and onto Mm -hmm. the screen if this was made today. Uh, But I also think because he's a teenager, Mm. it's a little bit different Um, just because it's, I don't know, like in my mind when I was watching it, I perceived him as like not a threat. Mm. And even though uh, he kept kind of like pushing it, 
I saw her very much as in control of that situation and she had put her foot down and she wasn't going to waver even though he was being inappropriate and it was a very uncomfortable scene. Um, yeah, I think interesting. Yeah. I but think I do true. agree. I don't think that it would have made it. It wouldn't have looked that way. Uh, were this film being made today. Yeah. I think they would have taken the tone down on that mm-hmm. a lot more. Maybe it was him trying to touch her hand or, you know, like it wouldn't have been as, I think aggressive as it was shot um, in the in the film, but I, I I do see what you're saying, and I think you're right that it's a it's a little bit less jarring because he's 15 than if he were if it were Hernan Bloom um, in a similar yeah. scene. Yeah, which makes I that think. tricky. Yeah, it's kind of that <laughs> moment that where we as the viewers are like having to wrestle with like that's not okay, but he's 15. Does he know anybody? Like that internal struggle we as the viewers are going through um, along with Rosemary. And you've spent enough time with Max too that you already like him to a degree. And mm. and so yeah. you're also going like he's just he's just a kid and and he it's this this misplaced affection that he doesn't know how to deal with, and he doesn't know how to channel that appropriately. And I I, I think that's a lot easier for us to um, maybe rationalize or justify than it would be, you know, if we saw, like you said, a scene with Mr. Bloom mm. making advances like that. That we would easily go, no, that's inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Stop it. Um, but with Max, there's a little bit more leeway there. Yeah, I think you're right. There, there is. Uh, I think that scene comes at a moment where we had we have seen him over and over and over again show up and and kind of violate her her space and just like I've very much felt the sentiment that. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence felt in mother of just like get like please get I'm out of my house like this is not your space like this is not okay uh but I mean I I, I very much see the other side as well of like he just doesn't know what to do with all the feels just a teenage boy with so many feels <laughs> oh man <laughs> yeah I think yeah even with with Rosemary, I I was in the back of my head going like, why did you like you knew that his intentions were misguided and romantic, like why would you keep welcoming him in? Mm-hmm. Like I think that was still like the undercurrent of my thought process. Like, ma'am, you're the adult. I need you to be an adult. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. I had that thought as well in that scene. I was like, yeah, I can, I, I've simultaneously felt so frustrated for her. Of like, kid, like I've told you so many times, like this is not going to work. Yeah. Back off. But then on the other hand, I'm like, well, she kind of toyed with him for a while and <laughs> led him on a little bit. So it's kind of understandable. Is it a little bit deserved? I don't know. It's very confusing. And then you don't get, yeah, that is the (laughs) point. And then you don't get, you know, more of her backstory until, I don't know, two thirds of the way into the film. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is fascinating to think about like from a, uh, a story writing perspective, when they choose to reveal the backstories for these characters, um, and how long you get to spend with them before you see their backstories. And I think that pacing is very intentional for who's kind of whose side we're on and when. Uh, so that's a, a fascinating little bit to uncover. I kind of want to like graph this out on a piece of uh, butcher paper <laughs> and, and like figure out like where at what moment is our sentiments and where and at what moment um, do we understand more about this character and their motivations. And I'm sure there's lots of lots of correlations there. And it's so like, how real relationships are 
Like, mm-hmm. you meet a person and you're getting to know them and you're like, okay, there's some weird things about you. There's some, like, quirks. Like, I don't understand why you're making the decisions that you are. <laughs> but then as you build trust and as you go deeper into the relationship, then you learn, like, this thing happened to you. Oh, okay, now it all makes sense. And, like, mm-hmm. it, it very much mirrors how we as humans build relationships with each other. So as we're watching, we're building this relationship of sorts uh, with this character on screen. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And it's slightly skewed based on who we already know, which mm-hmm. is very much the case in our human relationships as well. Uh, I may understand why my friend's boyfriend is doing the way that the things that he is, but because I've known my friend for longer, I am way more on her side and a lot more forgiving for her than I am for, uh, this dude, (laughs) because I don't know you. And while I can empathize, you still hurt my friend. I'm gonna be pissed. Uh, (laughs) so yeah, that is, that is fascinating. I, I, I think we get Max's backstory earliest and we spend the most time with him and, and build a greater sense of empathy with him than we do with uh, Rosemary and with Hernan Bloom, for sure. And I think, like, especially for American audiences, like, that entrepreneurial spirit that Max has is so mm. American. And we're taught to, you know, like, root for that and root for the underdog and, you know, root for the creative dreamer. So like, there's just so much about him that specifically as Americans, like we are hardwired to root for. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I think the same is similar for how we can understand uh, Hernan Bloom as mm-hmm. viewers as well of the, the man who pursued financial success and yet at the end of it there's still something empty about it and that that wasn't enough and that is also feels relatable and um very much in line with a lot of the other stories that are being told about the american dream and whether it exists or doesn't exist and very much on brand for uh (laughs) american cinema Mm -hmm. yep yeah Okay, is there anything else that we haven't talked about yet from Rushmore that you want to hit on? Oh, can we talk about the play at the end? Ooh. Yes. I I think the well, in general, I'm going to zoom out for a hot sec. I think <laughs> the plays in general serve as this little bit of hope that we have for Max and his, his, his potential success. Like he is not just this guy who's all show. He can create great things and do them quite well. And I think that without seeing his plays throughout this film, which I think we get pretty consistently um, through the, the beginning, middle, end, end of the film, I think without that, we'd be a little less hopeful of like this kid being able to do all of these things that he's dreaming about. And so I think that just in general, at a larger level, the plays serve a very important role in us being on board and us believing in Max as a character. And I love that the plays kind of reflect what he's going through and kind of like where he's at. Like, I I like that even the plays are this like language that he has to communicate uh, where he's at. He doesn't well done. They are so well done. I'm like, oh, you little genius, you. <laughs> the fact that he had little safety glasses and, and earplugs oh for us was just so endearing. And it's just, it's those little details that yeah. are so important to a film like this. Like, that's what makes it so special. Like, mm-hmm. he could have done, like, this other play and it could have been this like big moment but the fact that he included these tiny little details like the the safety glasses and the earplugs and the type of ear like the ear coverings that he chose were so perfect they were so weird Um, and there's a shot where you see the audience clapping and I think uh, Margaret Yang's parents just have the little little safety glasses on the ear (laughs) ear coverings (laughs) it's so adorable 
It's so perfect. <laughs> but what was your what was what were you gonna say about the the West play? I I love that you know once again it's a it's a culmination of all of these things rolled into one like the fact that uh bloom was in nam and this was set in nam and um the fact that he invited uh luke wilson's character as an apology and they included the line like he he told me to wear a tie like Mm -hmm. it's all these callbacks to previous moments where max might not have been at his best but at this end climactic moment um he's really really thoughtful and he's able to be really profound and able to be a good friend um and you're able to see as the viewer like yes max there you are like that's such a it's such a creative way to show that character's growth um and the growth of the other characters as well yeah and without being like really on the nose and uh obvious about it as well i just watched a film recently blinded by the light and just it's a it's a very much uh coming of age story of a kid who is shy and he discovers bruce springsteen's music and stands up against his parents and all this kind of stuff so it's very much like a break free moment um but the ending is so cliche and heavy-handed and just so on the nose like he gives this long speech at his graduation ceremony about how he's finally understood how to reconcile his parents expectations of him with his own dreams and it's just it's so like let me hand you the message and spell it out for you handing it to you on a silver platter that it just it lost a lot of the magic and the effectiveness and you're so right this ending shows Max's growth and it's not dramatic growth either which very much mirrors again how we actually grow and develop as human beings it's these tiny little um, moments where he displays um, graciousness and warmth and um, care for his friends and it's so all it's all so subtle like we have to notice these details or this one line and be able to call back to um the, the previous moment that that happened in the rest of the 90 minutes. It's very much the phantom thread, I'm going to put the butter in the pan type of moment. <laughs> <laughs> we need to coin that as the phrase for uh, subtlety and rewarding <laughs> viewers for paying attention because uh, I just kept, I keep thinking back to that um, moment as a perfect example. And I think this, this ending uh, does a lot of a similar thing. And this ending, you know, you you can trust that there's going to be a little bit more growth and it'll probably be like little baby steps, but you can, but you don't have, you know, this happy, rosy, it's all tied in a bow kind of ending. And I also love that about it too. Like it shows there's hope and, you know, we trust that this, whimsical vibrant character will continue to be that as he continues to grow but um all of his problems aren't solved and you know neither are the problems for the other characters as well but Mm. we can trust that okay they're going to keep growing and you know living life in their own quirky ways Mm -hmm. and in these small ways too like there are big moments in our life yes but a lot of it is these tiny little moments where we get to choose how we treat our friends and how we reconcile. And it's, it's often not in these big grandiose moments. Yes. I love that. That ending was very well done. Yep. It's all in the details. Mm-hmm. Yep. You love the details. I the do. The butter in the pan. Ugh, oh, so love good. love that moment so much. <laughs> All right. Well, this was our review of Rushmore. Um, It is available on Hulu, I believe. Yes, Hulu uh, to stream. Uh, It's also available for rent on YouTube, Amazon Prime, iTunes, Google Play, Vudu, all the places. Um, We highly recommend it. It's one of Wes Anderson's earlier works. 
Um, so you really see a lot of the early developments of his visual style that kind of fully blooms later on. And there's a lot to unpack. There's a lot that comments on the human experience, um, our longings and desires and what we hope for and how we deal with our flaws. But it's all under the guise of this uh, fun, lighthearted comedy. So we highly recommend watching Rushmore. In the meantime, we hope you have an amazing week and fuse a little whimsy in your life. Take a little bit of Max's flair and uh, channel it into just your normal Monday or Tuesday. Uh, we'll see you next week with another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. We hope you guys have an amazing week and we'll see you soon.